Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodities strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome to this edition of All Options Considered. I'm Tambir Sandhu, Chief Global Derivative Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg. On this episode, I'll be joined by Pierre Dussard, partner at Dominice & Co. For reference, this has been recorded on the day of the September 2023 BOE meeting and one day after the FOMC meeting, where both central banks left rates unchanged while maintaining optionality and aiming to push a higher for longer theme to prevent a loosening of financial conditions. The general decline in cross-asset volatility since the peak of the regional banking stress has been recently interrupted by the bear steepening of the yield curve. We continue to expect the short tenor rates fall to gradually decline on the narrowing of the rates policy distribution. G10FX vol is close to cycle lows. And as central banks reach the terminal rate and soft landing becomes the dominant narrative, FX vol may have shifted from being driven by rates in this cycle. Essentially, it would require a catalyst. So maybe higher equity volatility, but it puts more focus on carry strategies. The soft landing narrative has helped weigh on the equity vol risk premium, improving the cost of hedges. And the decline in the premium outlay of S&P downside has been in part driven by a fall in implied correlation that has compressed index volatility. So, Pierre, great to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Tanvir. So, low realized volatility makes it challenging to be long volatility on an outright basis, while on the other hand, the low level of volatility may see a lack of activity from vol sellers. How are you navigating this environment? From our perspective, um, vol has been expensive, I mean, throughout the year. I think it's, it's, um, it's always a discussion we have with investors. They tend to mix uh, the, vol, uh, the level of volatility and whether volatility is cheap or expensive. So just to put things in perspective, in 2022, the VIX average was at 25, and uh, the S&P realized fall was also 25. This year so far, um, the VIX average is around 16.5, and, and realized fall is around 13.5. So we see that as fall is declining, it's you know it's not cheap uh, by any measure. And other type of uh, spread or premium that we look in the vault space also point uh, you know towards being expensive. I mean, how do we navigate this? Well, we've been leaning uh, short vault throughout the year, um, uh, to be fair, and we're expecting to continue to do so um, in, the coming, in the coming weeks as we, we, we don't foresee the, uh, the environment to, to change um, you know, uh, in, a, in a big way, except of course, if there's an external catalyst. So the volatility risk premium that you mentioned, the spread between VIX and realized volatility of the index has historically been around three to four vol points. So yes, when people say the VIX is low, 
you know, it may appear optically low, but that premium you mentioned is actually not far from long-term averages, although recently it has been coming in. Absolutely. Some of the other things we look at, for instance, Q. Q is also something that has been uh, uh, spoken a lot about being, you know, uh, very low. It's low, but it's not cheap because in reality, when you look at what's happening, for instance, on the S&P 500, the chances that you have a large move, a large up move is now far greater than having a large down move uh, compared to, say, uh, the last 10 to 15 years. So there is fundamental reason also why the skew is 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 uh, is low, but certainly not cheap. Covered call strategies have grown this year, and we can see that through the large inflows into the JP Morgan Equity Premium Income ETF, which is a covered call ETF that has grown to nearly $30 billion. The issue with selling call options on a long equity book is you're giving up the upside or the right tail. But this behavior is understandable given higher rates and the market rally has been concentrated to a few mega cap tech stocks. And we've seen, you know, this re-risking over the last few months and the market being chased higher. If you take the specific case of JP, my understanding is that uh, that index does not necessarily, or sorry, that, that ETF does not necessarily invest in all S&P uh, stocks. I think it actually tries to pick a fairly defensive stock and potentially exclude those five or six uh, tech mega cap you're, you're talking about. And so from that perspective, it's not a, maybe it's not a bad idea to overwrite uh, calls. Um, I think generally overwriting calls is um, not a bad strategy at all, certainly not at current levels. The higher interest rate environment has also helped this idea because it pushes up the S&P forward versus spot. And we had a note on this recently on how uh, the rise in rates has pushed up S&P forwards, which increases the core premium relative to put. So, you know, this has helped improve the entry for, for example, collar strategies that sell calls and buys puts uh, with the low index skew also helping the entry. Yeah, that's also another reason. I mean, clearly, if you're looking to purchase protection and you want to finance some of that protection by selling something else, from my end, I would rather sell upside calls uh, than sell, for instance, um, um, a lower strike put. It's a trade I, I really don't like to do unless the skew is at uh, very extreme levels. So there's been a lot of talk about zero day to expiry options given the growth of these options and whether they will add to the fragility of the market yes it's a low-cost way to tactically trade around events such as fomc meetings and cpi data releases uh, the volumes are persisting near the highs and the monthly volume is at a record high north of 50 percent of the total s p option volume uh, that was sub 10% five years ago. So, you know, this talk about increased market fragility and references to Volmageddon, although, you know, that episode was related to VIX exchange traded products following a period when the VIX was printing single digits in 2017. You know, my, my sense is that a lot of that flow 
is buying to amp amp up on leverage rather than outright selling to collect premium well the first thing is we don't i don't think that this is an imminent systemic systemic risk um we've we've um from what we've been able to spot uh, there were some anomalies in the beginning for instance sudden you know contain jump in the uh, spot price of uh, uh, the mini uh, future or irregularities in the sub uh, one week uh, implied vault surface and we could we could see these anomalies maybe two three months ago but as the market is becoming more mature they're becoming less and less visible um, we've had some discussion with the exchange and they've showed us actually that the net risk uh, that is carried by uh, market makers on uh, this zero DTE is actually pretty small versus the volume that trades. So my take on it is that it's um, it's different um, type of investor or participants. You have retail investor, you have more institutional investors, and there, you know, everybody is looking at it differently. The whole risk expires at the end of the day. That's the principle. So, I mean, I don't see this as a as a potential Volmagadon scenario. Um, I think you could say that anybody who's making any kind of substantial loss on any type of trade, potentially there's a risk of, uh, of uh, a snowball effect, so to speak. But I, I don't see why that risk is higher for zero DTE than for other parts of the market it appears that a lot of this trading has capped risk so you know whether it's put spreads or etc yeah apparently 50 percent is capped and 50 percent is uncapped let's move on to rates volatility which has been the poster child yeah. of this hike cycle so you know it's faded from the cycle highs as near-term left tail risks have faded and the right tail of the rates distribution has narrowed as the central banks reach the terminal rate. And we've been of the view that, you know, the distortions in the rates for surface will take time to fully normalize, given the probabilities around outcomes have been sloshing around, the narratives have been changing, you know, almost on a weekly basis. So it's kind of a slow process. But what's really interesting at the moment is the skew in the US rates market. So when when we talk about the skew we're looking at the difference between vol and high yields versus lower yields and it can be a useful indicator to assess the market asymmetry and any shifts in sentiment and there's been a decent bounce in short dated payer skews particularly at the long end of the curve and it really highlights the near-term balance of risks and you know, the yields have recently hit cycle highs. They may flatten over time as the effects of, you know, policy tightening takes hold. You're, 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 a, you're a vol, rates vol expert. Um, what I can tell you is from the discussion I'm having with clients um, who are probably not a rates vol expert, what get them puzzled is actually the the the, the, the differences between where equity vault sits versus where um, uh, versus the level of uh, rates vol, and you know most investors who are not 
necessarily fixed income specialists tend to look at the move index, which um, um, you know is not a perfect measure, but is still some indication. Yeah. And what's getting you know everybody puzzled is how come you know VIX has gone back to say pre-COVID level and the move index has stayed in an elevated range, right? Uh, it's typically around 100. This compares to level around, say, uh, uh, 50, 80. This is the kind of level you saw pre-COVID. However, if you go prior to 2007, which is, you know, probably the last time where we had, you know, US rates um, at, you know, comparable levels at what we're seeing now. Well, during that time, you know, uh, the move was between 80 and 150, right? So actually what we're seeing kind of makes sense um, given when, you know, where rates are, are sitting. And the, the other observation that I have is I think investors are putting uh, too much weight on the level of rates when they look at equity risk. Uh, in reality, yes, higher rates... Uh, uh, create a larger discount for future cash flow, but higher rates also um, allow um, has also an impact on 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 future revenue. Right, uh, as we've seen uh, painfully, uh, a lot of these large companies are able to pass on to the to their clients um, a higher inflation rate. So to me, it seems that what you know we should pay more closer attention. Is not as as equity investors is not so much the level of rates, but for instance, something like the balance sheet of central banks. You know, the the amount of liquidity, and there it's a completely different picture. I mean, right now, I would say if you take the Fed's uh, balance sheet, we've moved from nine trillion to eight trillion. But just to put things in perspective, before COVID, uh, the size of that balance sheet was only four and a half trillion. So, you know, the image is that we're still in a flood of liquidity. And to me, this, um, you know, explains uh, in part why equity markets have, have held so well is, is simply because there is still ample liquidity uh, in the system. So thanks for joining us on this edition of All Options Considered, Pierre. Thank you, Tanvir. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Hope you join us next time. Thanks a lot.